0: I was thinking of some witty thing to say about returning after so many years. Uh, Let me not do anything witty at all, but let me just say how good it is to be back home and to be back in Edmonton and to be back at First Baptist Church amongst friends like Ryan and Don and Gerald, people who we have worked together over the years. It's just good to be here, except that we didn't think that this would be what it would be like. Uh, when we came back, and uh, we're getting used to that. I want to thank you for allowing me to have dress pants on for the first time in in almost six months. Uh, That is really nice. I haven't had a pair of... uh, I might have had a dress shirt on, but oftentimes I've had sweats underneath it for my Zoom calls, so uh, thank you for that opportunity, even if you can't see my dress pants. It's a familiar story. It's probably worthy, and I understand that Don pulled out a flannel graph recently out of the mothballs and uh, cobwebs of some place in this building. But it was worthy of one of those great flannel graphs of those days. Like so many of these stories, if you grew up in church, these are some of the stories that get underplayed. Uh, So oftentimes cartooned, made small, and even trivialized and misunderstood. It begins with the writer telling us that the story of the word of the Lord was rare in those days. I love that phrase. The word of the Lord was rare. Another way of translating it out of the Hebrew is to say that the word of the Lord was not as vivid as it once had been. It was a time when people were using the word of the Lord for their own selfish ambitions, where power and position had become more valued than character and behavior. A time where if you were supposedly devout, it was difficult to tell the difference, and certainly the word of the Lord was not a lived reality. And that's what you have to understand if you are to grasp what the writer is trying to tell us through this story of Samuel. When he says the word of the Lord was rare, something was happening. Words had become cheap. Long after words are spoken, you see, words must be embodied, they must be lived out, they must be acted upon, or they simply just become words. Think about it. John captures it in his gospel when he tells his story of the Christmas story. In truth, John is telling it without all of the mangers and the shepherds and all of those things, and he's focusing his Christmas story on the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think Eugene Peterson captures it by saying, the the word became like us and moved into the neighborhood. There it is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word becomes rare, had become rare because it had no longer become lived. The word no longer had become flesh in people's lives and therefore it was no longer vivid. In those times, it had no life because it was just words. I can't tell you how many times in my speaking across Canada and the United States that I have been asked what the followers of Christ in North America are doing during the Trump era. Well, I read an article from a friend of mine, Joanna Lafleur. Uh, She writes similar to uh, Natalie Cook in her Facebook, uh, with a little bit less of the rawness that Natalie writes, but still some of the pointedness. And this was one of those. She wrote this and she said, Many people have not rejected Christianity as represented by Jesus, but a caricature of Christianity as represented by jerks. I mean, imagine. Imagine the Beatitudes, this manifesto of the Christian life. Imagine what it would be like if they were captured not just in words, but in living. Imagine if those words were embodied, fleshed out and lived. Imagine what it would be like to radically be called to live that kind of ethic and virtue. But the story begins there. The word of the Lord was rare. And it begins with an older Eli at the temple. Stories actually usually do begin in those places. Up at the temple, or in Ottawa, or in Washington, where the people in power tend to be, and where the so-called more mature and powerful can be found. Here is old Eli. A priest, in fact. In fact, a head priest in a time which it's probably not exactly a stellar time to be at the top of the heap. Because remember, the word of the Lord was rare. Eli had spent his entire life dealing with the word of the Lord. That's what priests do. They mediate between God and God's people, saying to the people what they think God wants to say. And Eli has given his whole entire life to that service in the temple, handling holy things, listening for God, studying scripture. And he does this as a priest, as one of those who were designated by God's people to help them listen to God. One of my teachers in seminary once said that preaching is priestly listening. The preacher, he said, is the one designated to go to the Bible in service to the congregation, to listen, and then to tell the congregation what she hears. Eli has been listening. <laughs> he's been listening for years. And he's obviously not that good at it. As the story says, the word of God was rare in those de- days. At least they weren't that vivid. Elsewhere we're told that Eli is overweight. I won't talk about that in fat. But that was why he was not able to steady the ark of the Lord in another part of this story. His sons also were priests, Hophni and Phinehas. They were reprobates. They had terrible reputations. Instead of preaching and teaching God's word to the people of Israel as they were called to do, his sons used their office to serve their own needs and their own inclinations. They were financially corrupt, sexually promiscuous. And in First Samuel chapter two, it points out the fact that they were absolutely unteachable. And Old Eli represents the establishment, the complacent, the fat, content with what it's got, settled down, comfortable with whoever shows up on a Sunday morning, from a religious point of view. He is established religion, seeking place, seeking power and influence. I mean, doesn't that sound relevant today to a church who's in charge or in a, trying to struggle in a changing world that chooses to leave the word of the Lord rare, so that they do not lose their place of power and authority. Or simply those who wish to recapture something of the past without realizing that the past no longer exists. Not aware that a much more radical and a lived word is required. A word that is going to become much more vivid. And yet, in this story, the word of the Lord stirs itself and does become vivid. It intrudes one night when the whole city is asleep. But there's a twist to the story. The word doesn't come to old Eli, the one who has been listening for years. But it comes to young Samuel. God's voice does not stir in the old man who is poring over the scriptures, listening for what God is saying. Instead, it comes to a little boy whose ears are only attuned to Eli's voice. Why? That's the question that leaps out of this story. Why? I mean, why would God favor the boy, Samuel, with God's word and not the old priest Eli? Samuel represents innocence and openness and energy. I confess that there was a time that I would have immediately identified with Samuel. I always loved this story. Ever since I first heard it when I was in Sunday school, and read it. it was read out one day by my Sunday school teacher, why did I like it? Because it was about a kid like me. Later, it became more clear to me when I identified with the story because I felt like Samuel, the one whom the Lord speaks to, calling, disrupting life, upsetting us adolescent plans, given a sense of vocation and a call to take the word and make it flesh. And sometimes I wonder, you no, know, I probably fear, that I have become old Eli. Eli the priest, up at the temple. I'm not sure when, and frankly, I'm not even sure that I have, but I fear it. Well, how does this passage feel to some of you? To the partly older generation, to the religiously pedigreed, Or to the religious professionals who are watching the power shift to the young Samuels, why does God choose to speak to them and not to us? As in so many Bible stories, we are witnessing a power shift, the torch is being passed. Later, there will be sad events in the house of Eli, and you will see someone is being brought down here, and someone else is being raised up. And notice that Eli still remembers, though, when the word was vivid in his life. He still remembers that. It was not so rare one time in his life. And he has the sense to tell Samuel that this voice, which so intrudes, which so confuses this young man, is a voice from God. We remember our vivid experiences of God. We at least, hopefully, know how God sounds when he stirs up. We've just become so good at tapping it down. This is important because it tells us that we have a role, all of us have a role to play when the word of the Lord begins to steer itself or stir itself. Wisdom that recognizes the similarity of God speaking and calling in a way that he used to when he spoke to us. But those of us who are older, more established, we need the vitality, we need the vividness, the willing innocence of the younger generation to listen to the new thing that God wants to say. Sometimes the tendency is to push it down, to want to control it, to ignore it, or rather than celebrate its vividness or at least challenge it to our living at the moment. And at that we need to celebrate the roles that we all have to play to hear the word of the Lord and see it speak to others more open to, than to us and help to fan the flame of newness and vividness. But thankfully, God is not limited to us. He's not limited to our inability or unwillingness to hear the word acted on. He's always stirring up, and the call of our soul is to listen, to anticipate, to interpret, to respond. Well, let me ask you one more question. Is this an inspiring story to you? This story of the call of little Samuel? Or is it depressing? Or maybe it's frightening. Maybe it depends where you're sitting when you hear it. Of course, the word of the Lord was rare because it simply had become words and rituals empty of risk, hollow of meaning, safely lived so that nothing could disturb our lives. We managed to keep it sleeping in our lives or at least let it stay very rare. There's no sense in biting off more than we can chew. No sense in stirring up something that might break our hearts or wreck our plans or change our lives. Everything is under control. Let's not get too excited. Keep your voices down. Don't let it become more vivid. But here's the promise of this passage. By the grace of God, despite our age, despite living in a time when the word of God is rare, we can listen, we can anticipate, we can hope that we can be stirred up again, or perhaps even for the first time. Then, and only then, can we celebrate that God still speaks. God comes to the little and the lowly. And maybe we can hope and listen up. We have much to celebrate here in this story. That God still speaks, calls people by name, has plans for them and for us. Today's gospel reading from John tells us about a couple of ordinary men, Nathaniel and Philip, that had their lives disrupted, changed forever, hearing their names called by Jesus. But today's story from 1 Samuel is a promise, and it's a warning. The promise is that though in times like ours when the word of God is rare, God is not forever silent. One night when we are minding our own business, or one Sunday when we're in church or simply living life dully, you know how that gets in a COVID reality. Just going through the motions, there's a voice. We hear our name called. And like little Samuel, our worlds are changed. Maybe that's the problem. It's not that we do not know the power of the word of God. Maybe it's the fact that we do. We know the sorts of things that God is capable of. And so fearfully, we try to ignore it. I mean, shh. Let it sleep. No nonsense. No sense in stirring it up and wrecking our plans and changing our lives. I mean, shh. Everything is under control here. There's nothing to get excited about. Keep your voices down. Walk quietly don't wake up a seemingly sleepy or sleeping God. Let the word of the Lord remain rare, less vivid. Because you know, if you don't, your comfortable lives may be interrupted. If you do, or maybe if you don't, you realize that you may have to change. This is the word of the Lord.